From Phil's VTech comes a weekly digital series where he shares his insights, concepts, and findings learned during his 15-year journey of working in the entertainment industry. Each lesson offers you a roadmap to overcome the challenges that all artists face on the path to success. Welcome to Phil's VTech Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Phil Speedtech, 360 Creative Coach, and I, every now and then, am joined by my dear friends that I like to share with you, not because they're my friends, but because they have something to offer. And today I'm joined by my friend, Blake V, who is, I know her in a hosting capacity, but there's a lot of other creative sides to her. And she's also a, a yoga instructor. With it. And uh, She is. She is. <laughs> Um, what else did I mean? I mean, you, you have, uh, you know, you have a length and breadth of everything that you do. Like, what would you know, nail it down? Like, what's the, like the singular thing that's like, this is what I'm pretty much known for. Totally. And thank you, Phil, for that introduction. I'm super happy to be here. It's been a long time since we chatted. So thank you for having me. And, uh, yeah, you know, I am many things as we all are right. Wearing our many hats. But um, I would definitely say that right now, lately, let's put me in the, the wellness category um, mm-hmm. because, yes, I am an RYT 200 yoga instructor. I've been teaching yoga for a couple of years. And especially during this like lockdown quarantine period where, you know, it's been tricky for us all to do anything. Um, I've definitely focused more on that and, and started kind of a new a new platform of wellness. And, um, you know, uh, to me, that just seems like if, if everything else fails and we can't figure out, you know, jobs and politics and social injustice issues, at least we can focus inward on ourselves and start there with self-care. You know, that's that's the that's a really important thing in a time like now. So that's where my head's at currently. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, one of, one of the things that I think you and I can connect on, I think, uh, like, one of my mantras is this idea that you can have all the, the skill sets in the world, but if you're not, like, working your mind, you're never going to find success. And so I, I kind of, you know, especially with, like, you know, you with yoga, I wanted to really deep dive on that, the importance of, you know, call it mental fortitude, call it a peaceful mind, you know, whatever term you have for it. But I think, you know, like, how has that uh, helped you in your creative space? And like, you know, talk about that importance and, you know, how you got into like yoga and uh, teaching. Absolutely. Okay. So, so the way you formed the question, I think is like a good two part answer. So first of all, with yoga, um, certainly the mind space is very important for your practice. You know, a lot of times you think that yoga is just about like flexibility and like doing cool poses and standing on your head. Right. And that's, that's a fun component, but yoga is much more than that. It's much more a head space, a meditation space, you know, something to really focus on in your movement. And, um, even going through yoga teacher training, that's a major component of the training is kind of like, you know, focusing, uh, as you're meditating, trying to train yourself to get your thoughts away from your brain, you know, cut the chatter that's going on in your head. And that, um, clear space for meditation really allows for some cool things, you know, and just like you were saying about, you know, how it kind of taps into your creativity. Um, I, have definitely been like a creative person throughout life. I've had like 17 different ventures that, you know, that, that I've done, um, throughout life. And I feel like every single one of those had something in common. And that was just like, you know, some sort of like, 
like a clear vision almost of like what each endeavor was. And that clear vision, I think, comes from being able to kind of like sort out your thoughts, you know, see them clearly. And what better way to do that than to train kind of your, your brain and yourself to calm down exterior thoughts, you know, and, and just focusing on you. And I know that like, that's a funny thing too, because when you say like, focus on you, it totally sounds selfish for me. When I hear that, I'm like, oh, people, nobody's thinking about anybody else, but it, but it's not even that it's, it's more so, um, building such like a strong foundation, just kind of like in your soul, in yourself and in your mind, you know, so that you can care for others in a better way. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think, you know, it, it almost in a weird way, it makes you open to actually listening and being empathetic to the world around you in that sense. So I, I, I completely agree. And one of the, so you mentioned the word chatter. I want to, I want to yeah. hone in on that. How much chatter is there in your mind currently? Like, is it, is there, you know, because of it, all the practice that you've done, I imagine it must be less, but at the same time, there's so much chatter. It almost like equals itself out of like, there's a lot, you know, so I'm just kind of yeah. curious. Yeah. It's a hundred percent. It's endless. It's full capacity. I mean, it's a lot of chatter. And that's the thing is, I, I think, I mean, you know, may, maybe there's some mass, master meditation practitioner, maybe the monks in Nepal, you know, maybe they have mastered no chatter. But, you know, in our modern life, especially current times where it's like, you know, a list of, of news every single day, I think it's really hard to erase the chatter when you're not focusing on it, you know. So if you, you know, meditation is a huge thing now. The past few years, I know, Phil, us at AfterBuzz, we were really familiar with Maria Menounos and kind of her connection to like transcendental meditation and, and her, you know, practitioners that she works with to kind of like, you know, educate on these things. And, um, you know, and, 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 I, and I couldn't agree more on, on these things, you know. These methods of clearing your mind are, um, are just really cool, you know. From my experience, I mean, I got chatter 24-7. I think when I sleep, I have chatter. And then my dreams are just manifestations of the chatter. However, um, for me, when I can actually move through a yoga flow, that to me is meditation. It's trickier almost to sit still and just really connect with my head. But there's really something special about um, a consistent like routine movement of yoga um, that you can just focus on the movement of your body. And that helps me to like get rid of the, of the chatter in my head. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's uh, wonderful. And I, I do think like you mentioned, like in, in a modern sense, uh, cause I think <laughs> in a lot of ways, like all these practices uh, of the mind are really to be able to integrate, integrate us into life. Otherwise, like we might as well just meditate for the rest of eternity. It's like, the, what, you know what I mean? We still have to, in my opinion, have to contribute some sh- way, shape or form to society. Um, and let me let me get your take on this. I, mm-hmm. I heard this recently, and I want I want to see if this is like uh, would be an accurate way. Okay. The, the chatter in your mind is not that it's bad. It's it's like a kid, right? You know, the kid's gonna do what the kid's gonna do, and you only really have to kind of ultimately step in if he's about to like cross the street and then there's a car coming. Yeah, do something bad. Yes. Yeah. Is that an accurate portrayal of like, you know, you know, because I think we we put such an emphasis on our thoughts when in reality, it's just they're just there. Yeah. 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 So, you know, um, 
it's funny because abs- absolutely the time to step in is if your brain's going to the dark place and, you know, it's telling you all kinds of stuff you don't need to hear. And, and you know, especially if it deals with like self-confidence and, you know, our brains sabotage us sometimes to just kind of create some self-hate that's, that's completely unwarranted. You know, it's our brain going wacky saying we can't do things and, you know, whatever else. And, um, that for sure is the time to step in and, and cut those thoughts out. But what I'm thinking of right now is like, you know, when we're falling asleep and our brain just goes like haywire, if we can't fall asleep immediately. And it's like, you know, Oh, I need to buy potato chips. Oh, what did my third grade teacher say? Oh, you know, my, my mom told me I need to go do this. It's like, our those are just the thoughts that are ever present, you know? Um, so in a way I feel like that's hard to really help. I don't know that you can even really fully escape those kinds of thoughts that are in your head, but a, a, a focused effort to, you know, take time in your day and truly, even if it's, even if you start with one minute, you know, of really focusing on nothing, yeah. <laughs> I think it can slowly help to, um, you know, kind of, kind of infiltrate that pattern into your daily thoughts. And, I will admit I'm not there yet, but I've definitely heard from some people who just meditation has changed their life and they are able at a snap of a finger to just kind of go into this meditative state. And I think they can kind of cut out that chatter, you know, um, I, I only pray to get there one day. I know you, you mentioned just meditating for the rest of our lives. And I'll tell you lately, that sounds great. <laughs> just move me to a mountain cave somewhere. I'll yeah. just meditate forever. <laughs> No, I mean, it, it would be, it would be wonderful in a, in a large sense. Um, I mean, I'm definitely like, for me, what I try to do is compartmentalize it. So you mentioned like, oh, I got to buy a potato chips or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to, you know, if that's in my mind, I try, I try to clear it of like, all right, let me write it down. And let me, let me also assign it like a time, you know, like, okay, well, I'm going grocery shopping, let's say Thursday. It's on like, great bag of chips, it will get bought Thursday. So it, it like almost assigns it as a due test. The, the, the thing I'm having more of an issue is, is long-term projects. So, you know, uh, whether it's fiction writing or movie making to me, because like, it's not done until it's done. And like, I mean, you know, novels can take years, so can movies. I'm constantly thinking about that. And like, that's the side that I can't shut up as opposed to the one-off tasks. Yeah. Yeah. So, any um, any thoughts for me? Because I'm sure any, I'm not the only one. Yeah, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure perhaps you've experienced that. Absolutely, yes. That no, that's a that's a fantastic point, Phil. Because I mean, truly, these things that are ongoing and and it may not even be like like a project per se, like a creative project. I mean, it can be our relationships. It can be you know what's going on with your dad or what you know your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. Those are those are our constant ties to like society that do keep that chatter. Um, and the only thing that I can think is this, you know, a lot of my creativity literally comes from like day-to-day interactions and the things that happen from day-to-day. Sometimes a stagnant place doesn't really feed creativity um, in my experience. But, you know, that said, I just, here, I'll put it this way. When I teach a yoga class, something that I really like to say when, when the class begins and when it ends is I like to remind the students to say like, okay, for this hour, forget everything outside of this room, forget everything outside of this room. Don't think about the potato chips you have to pick up. Don't think about your kids. Don't think about your boyfriend. Just you are here. You're here. You're on your mat. And the only thing you're focusing on is your practice right now for this hour. Like 
give yourself that, you know, self-focus for an hour. And, you know, throughout our practice and at the end, when we come into Shavasana, it's a time to chill, a time to reflect. And I say it again, you know, quiet your mind, bring yourself to your mat for the next three minutes. So I think that even though we've got these long-term thought processes, long-term projects, long-term relationships, I think that the first place to get any kind of quiet, kind of what you're asking is in a way to compartmentalize, you know, you, 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 uh, you compartmentalize the time you have for your projects. You compartmentalize the time you have your, for your relationships. And then you compartmentalize a little time for yourself, for that meditation. Even if it's an hour a day, 30 minutes a day, if you do it every single day, I mean, I think that that is the great setup to any pattern and it will really start to help you because if you're worrying 23 and a half hours, you know, about your project and dreaming about it and everything, that one little 30 minutes of like respite can really do a lot, I think, to just kind of clear, clear your mind for a set amount of time. And then I think it will make you stress a little bit less. You know, humans are such like stressful creatures and we're so like worried all the time. When's it going to last? How long is it going to last? When's it going to end? You know what I mean? But if we in our little human brains can put a time to it and say like, okay, Phil, you know, every day, you know, at lunchtime, you're going to do 30 minutes and you're going to turn everything off and you're just going to sit with yourself, maybe close your eyes, maybe move a little in a yoga practice, you know, put a timer for 30 minutes. It's going to be hard as hell at first, but then once you get into the routine of it, you'll miss it if you don't have it, you know? Yeah. And that's, my, that's been my experience is just incorporating a little bit. What do you say to those? Because I mean, I think like at least the people that I generally interact with, they understand that therapy is good. They understand like self-care practices are good. Um, you know, they even understand like the science of sleep, like getting more sleep. But, and yet like we, even though they logically understand all this stuff, they go against it and it's just baffling to me. So how, like, I mean, there's just evidence all there. Like even, even um, I mean, Winston Churchill, one of the most cited people for any quote, yeah. took naps habitually. Uh, and, it, and it's just, it's just fascinating to me, like our resistance to taking care of ourselves. Like, what, what do you say to those, you know, those people who, who logically know this is good for me? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question because you're so right. I mean, this idea of self-care is relatively a new thing. You know, I'd say just the last couple of years, that word was even created as something that we should be focusing on for ourselves. And it is a lot easier to worry about someone else and their problems than to worry about yourself. You know, a lot of times I see that where it is a lot easier to care for the relationships in your life, care for your kids, you know, do all of this because focusing on yourself takes a little work, you know, even if it is just to sit in the quiet for 30 minutes, that's hard. That's hard to get to that point because of our thoughts and everything else. And, you know, I hate to say it, but again, just kind of my experience, it's almost to me like, like the people that have these doubts and, and are kind of the haters of all of this. It's almost like, you know, I, I don't even know if there's really a great way to convince them other than them having something directly happen to them. You know, um, for example, one of, one of the big things that made me go into teaching yoga is I woke up overnight about five years ago with some crazy health problems um, that went undiagnosed for a couple years. And it was this wacky journey. And I was hurting all the time. I was racking up medical debt. It was like so stressful and crazy. And once I started committing to this program of like movement for my body, clearing my mind in a meditation space, 
um, it, it, it set off a chain of events that like truly, truly changed my life. And I think that the only way that I got there was because I had this thing happen to me that, that transformed. Now, I know that not everybody has like a trans transformational thing, you know, that happens. But the best thing that I can say for anybody else is just, you know, probably the power of friendship. You know, if you have friends right now that you're in direct contact with and, and, and you're just raving about, you know, moving your body, seeking self-care in this way, taking meditation space for yourself. For example, if you've got a friend you're hanging out with and you say, oh no, I've got to do my meditation at 2.30, you know, hey, let's go get a drink or let's go get lunch or whatever. And you say, oh no, I got to meditate. That sets off a spark around people that kind of shows like, oh, wow, Phil takes this shit real seriously. And he, you know, he schedules it for himself. He cares about himself. That is his self-care, you know? And I bet you Tony Robbins does that, you know? I bet you he's got his schedule to a T in the morning. He wakes up, he does the cold pool plunge. He goes in the sauna. He does his mind. He meditates. You know, I, I, I feel like I hear that. Like a lot of successful people have kind of, you know, a schedule that allows for the expansion of your mind, you know, either meditation or, or movement, exercise, all of these things are really important, I think, to help clear your mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I agree. And I have found it in my life, like, you know, uh, the more I've done for myself and like, in that sense, like, you know, whether it is therapy or so forth, you know, people have seen a change in me and they're like, oh, that's good, you know, and maybe yeah. I'm trying to nudge them. I'm like, you can do it too. You know, like if you think yeah. I'm seeing benefits, you can see benefits too. And you know, whether or not they take me up on it ultimately is up to them. But is yeah. it, is it, I want to go back to kind of a, a thing that you mentioned, like we, in a sense, I'll, I'll summarize it as like, we always try to control our world around us as if like, if oh, we yeah. control, you know, our environment, we're good. And especially in the context of COVID, like that just goes out the window because I talk to so many people and it's like their ideal scenario. If, you know, well, under normal circumstances, if I knew like when I could go back to LA and start my job again, I wouldn't know how to make a plan. It's like, you don't understand. We never had control. And it just, that part yeah. of it fascinates me. There's not a question, yeah. but I'm, I'm curious to kind of know your thoughts as far as people dealing with this uncertainty. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm really glad you asked this. This is one of my favorite like things to talk about because this too is something that through meditation, through a lot of therapy as well, just through kind of being a student of life, I feel like I, you know, struggle this and, and, and understand a different perspective. And that is you can't control anything, nothing. You can, you can barely even control what's going on in your immediate universe. And a lot of people try to control other people, you know, someone does something that pisses them off, hurts their feelings, whatever. And then, and then, you know, it becomes a fight to control the other person, how they're supposed to act and, and everything. And you simply can't control anything. People weren't able to control, just like you said, with, you know, the COVID, we weren't able to control our jobs. We weren't able to control contracting the virus for those that got sick. All of this was out of our control. So, you know, I don't know if maybe you've heard this word detachment, but detachment is an important word that's kind of worked through um, for sure yoga practice. And I really think um, kind of in the realm of like universal law, if you care to go that route, there's really this idea of, of you know, things have a rhythm, things have a cycle. There's being yang, something happens that sets off an equal, you know, reaction. It's, it's all this kind of universal law. And, and part of it is to say that, that uh, one single human controls none of it. 
You know, there's this whole universe outside of us working and collaborating and doing everything it's doing. We don't even fully understand it. And sometimes to just put yourself into perspective of like how small you are in the universe, like it, you know, it's crazy to think that, that you could control everything. Um, so one thing that I've really loved working on probably the past year, especially is this idea of detachment. So it's like, you know, we have things we love. We have, you know, a guitar or a TV or like material things, our car and all of this. And we become, you know, we get to a point where that defines us, you know, and then I become defined by the guitar and the car and the stuff. And then it's like, if that leaves for whatever reason, my identity is shattered, but we're not our stuff. You know, we, we are us and we are resilient and we are completely capable of rebuilding any situation, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a daunting topic. I feel like, because if, if you're in the, the space of feeling that everything is, is, uh, you know, that, that you have your fingers in the pot. So when stuff goes wrong, it's all your fault. That's a, Ooh, that's a lot of pressure. That's like yeah. an exhausting place to be, you know? So I think it's really neat, this idea that, okay, I'm, I'm a cog in the works and a lot of things are happening and yeah, maybe I get to choose which potato chips I buy today, but you know, there's all these other things that work that, that maybe I can't control and that is okay. In fact, it's even better because it's less work I have to do. If I can just like relinquish my stress and my, you know, discomfort, any of these bad feelings that come with not being able to control everything. If I just give that up to the universe and say, screw it, let's see how it works out. So many times, I swear, I swear nine out of 10 times, the universe has a weird way of making things work in our favor, even when you haven't orchestrated the whole thing, you know? So I've, I've seen that a few times in my life. And especially this past year, I just, um, with, with this, quarantine and this lockdown, I think this is the best lesson. If, if anyone's trying to learn anything during this time, it is that. It's that you can't control anything. It's that, you know, the universe is going to do what it's going to do. And that's where we fall back on our resiliency and, and really use that to like shine as humans, you know? Yeah. Are you familiar with uh, Joe Dispenza and his work? I am. Yes. I love Joe Dispenza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, it just because um, in that sense, like w when you talk about like the universe, you know, providing the path, so to speak, you know, I, I think it's, it, you know, for anyone listening who doesn't know, like, and hopefully I don't butcher this, but, but his idea is that if we operate from a more present state, a higher emotional state, meaning like happiness, excitement, joy, that creates a lot more positive energy and like, uh, you know, things will kind of vibrationally come to us as opposed to coming from like a, I'm sad, low state, you know, because like Completely. that itself, and I wasn't even going full in, like that just has such a low energy. So of course, yeah. I'm not going to be attracted to it. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. Not to get, you know, too far off topic. What, what, um, what do you, what drew you to Joe Dispenza? And um, I don't know, like, what's your biggest take? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you. Yes. So, um, okay. So this takes us back a few years to when I woke up overnight with the health stuff and I was like, what is going on? I was living a life that was just full of stress, full of like doubt and sadness. And I was, I was working so hard to make something happen. And then when nothing was happening, I was like blaming myself and it was coming back onto me. So I was, you know, physically ill in this time. I was working full time and commuting literally like three to four hours in a car every single day. 
I, you know, I had 17 things on my plate. I had issues with relationships in my family, my boyfriend at the time. It was all, it was just a big mess, right? So I remember I would be commuting back and forth to work. And I was like, okay, I love music, but I'm sick of the radio. I can't, I can't, I, what, what else can I do? And that's when I first started getting into podcasts. And so I started finding, you know, health podcasts, you know, whatever, science podcasts, anything that was interesting to me. And I swear by faith, I stumbled upon on YouTube. This is an audiobook for anybody to go listen to that wants to. It's by the author Lawrence Scovel Shin, and it's called The Game of Life and How to Play It. And it's in, it's, it's right in that category of new thought. And she is an original author, one of the, one of the first female authors of new thought. And she wrote this book in 1920 and it freaking, and it holds up today, Phil. It's nuts. Like it's small. It's a, it's an easy read and it like, it blows your mind. So, so, so I, you know, I see this YouTube link and I go game of life and how to play it. Well, hell, I want to, I want to win at this game. I want to learn how to play it. So I listened to it and it struck me so much that I would keep listening to it. Every drive to and from work, I would just replay it, replay it, replay it. I bought a hard copy. I highlighted, I underlined, I did all the things. And really what the book is, is it teaches you this kind of universal law. It teaches you, you know, sort of the, 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 the power in, in, in relinquishing your worry. It does you no good to worry. If anything, worry and doubt and sadness brings more like negativity to you because you're in that space mentally, frequency wise. And um, you, you mentioned something earlier, you put it in a really good way. And it was basically just, you know, if you can just be happy, you, you don't even really have to be, this is my opinion. And I feel like I've read this too in this new thought realm, but I really believe that you don't even really have to be like, like killing the game, hustling so hard that you're killing yourself. You know, so, some people take the hustle so hard and they're making themselves sick. They're burning the candle at both ends. They're not getting the good sleep. Good, you know, just like we're talking about, it's like, they're not really respecting themselves. And yet when you can just let the universe kind of work for you, a lot of really cool things can happen and, and you're not killing yourself. It's the greatest of both worlds, you know? And, and sometimes when I'm talking about it, I feel like full woo woo. I feel like I sound like a crazy person, like saying like the universe, right? But I wouldn't feel so confident speaking about it if I didn't have things in my own life line up in a real interesting way once I kind of started, you know, identifying these things or better yet, things that happened in my past that I didn't know why happened. And now learning this new thought theories, um, I could see how it how it happened in the past, you know, so if nothing else, I just find it wildly fascinating and like fun. And sometimes I think, you know, what, what a fun way to live life. Like what if life didn't have to be hard? What if it didn't have to be painful? What if it didn't have to be sad? All these negative things that we fight day to day. What if it could be rad? What if it could be fun and fulfilling and loving and exciting and magical, like all these good things. And, you know, man, I swear it's a, it's a perspective shift away from thinking that life is that way, you know, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> Do you, do you feel like there's a benefit of hindsight and experience? Um, because I like just kind of looking at it, um, you know, we're, we're, we always ask kids, what do you want to be from such an early age? Right. And we never ask them why they want to be anything. It's just, what do you want to be? 
And I've, I've, I've seen, like, I've literally seen like 12 year olds being like, I'm a failure. Like I, you know, my grades are slipping and, I'm not, and it's like at 12 years old, they've already like defined their future that they're never going to have a job worthwhile. Yeah. Um, and again, it's that paradoxical thing where there's just so much evidence of like most successful people didn't, you know, in their twenties, they kind of experimented. They didn't know what their path in life was. It's only with the benefit of hindsight that, that it becomes, Oh, this thing prepared you in a unique way to do this. And this thing prepared you uniquely for this position. And then like, you know, 10 years later, you were that person. Like, I don't know. It's, it's just fascinating to me. And, and it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and, and I agree with you. It, it is a fast, fascinating thing. And to me, it is very much uh, largely a Western ideal. This is very much a Western thing to say, I'm going to put society's expectations on this child. I'm going to put my family expectations on this child. Forget what this child thrives at. It's going to be a doctor. It's going to be a lawyer. It's my way or the highway, right? It's more that control mindset. You know, we've got lineages of family lines and societal rules and guidelines that really put us in our place since we're born, you know? Um, and here, here's another uh, interesting read. This, this is fascinating. I think you'll like this. I've got this other book. Um, I forget the name of it. I'll have to get it to you after this, but it's from an African author. Uh, his name is Maladoma Somme, I believe. And he um, grew up in like East Africa in a tribe, tribal life. And um, he, you know, has, has is since been an international author, but he has a, an amazing perspective for us in the Western world because he really is showing, you know, the power of community, how tribal life is very different than what we've crafted in Western society. And the biggest thing he says is this, we force our children to become things they don't want to do or, or, or can't do. And they're set up for a lifetime of judgment and sadness and, you know, unfulfillment. So in the particular tribe that he comes from, the way they, they did things there was that once the baby was born, they wouldn't even give it a name. They wouldn't put no preconceptions on the baby. The baby just lives. It thrives as it's gaining its personality, as it's a toddler, as whatever. They, they zero in on what its interests are, what it likes, what it likes to do. And then it gets a name and they decide where it'll go in the tribe and, you know, its, its duties and things. But there's a lot more freedom in this perspective in terms of seeing what a person's potential is, you know, because of course there's going to be in, in our own world here. I mean, of course there's people that have natural proclivities for like numbers and math and maybe would make great engineers. And then there's people over here who don't know a thing about numbers, but man, they're an amazing, you know, musician or something. And you're absolutely right in the way that our society is set up. You know, we, I think are forced to learn things through experience and figure out our calling in hindsight because we don't have the wherewithal to respect the child's growth, you know, in our society to see what they'd be good at. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really fascinated by that. And uh, I think tangentially to that, there's an interesting notion like that, that I heard recently, everything in our world at least um, supports this idea that like you're not enough. Meaning like if you just were, if you did nothing today, then you literally have shown quote unquote, no value to the world. You didn't bring in any money. You didn't make anything. And isn't it fast? Like we always, it's that weird thing. We, we try to like in this, like 
oxymoron sense, kind of like, oh no, you're worthy of love. Of course, everyone's worthy of love, but it's like, well, you're not, you know, unless you actually do something and have a job and whatever else, you're not really worthy of much. Isn't that, I just find that fascinating. Oh, it is. And you know what? I think that is a very, very, very current struggle, especially politically. Um, And I won't take it politically there, (laughs) but- You can, go ahead if you want to. Yeah, I mean, okay, cool. Because <laughs> I'm cool talking about it. But basically, it's just it's just this idea that, just as you said, you know, um, America, Western society, capitalism at large, uh, breeds this idea of living. You know, you have got to work. You've got to break your back. You've got to, you know, just toil all day long and, you know, and be grateful that you get to toil, you know. And especially right now, you know, a great example of that for me is minimum wage. Nobody can live on minimum wage. You just can't. It's proven. The numbers. Get our get our numbers guy over here to prove it. But, you know, it's 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 simply not sustainable. And yet we've got all this red tape, all this bureaucracy to get through to simply say a human cannot live on minimum wage in California, let's say. And in America, we are hard pressed with this hustle lifestyle, you know, and I'm guilty of that, you know, in, in my, in my twenties and my early twenties, I had like seven jobs at once and half of them were unpaid. And I was just, you know, hustling here, hustling there, trying to, trying to make my mark because that's American. That's, you got to work hard to make your mark, you know? So I love that you brought this up, Phil, because I really do believe that every single human is, is enough even if you do nothing. And I, and, and, you know, this took me even just recently to like organize my thoughts and figure out what that means because, you know, we're labeled with lazy if we don't achieve enough by a certain time, you know, and a lot of people have had, you know, fantastic achievements way later in life, you know, maybe after they have kids or once they retire, you know, just to put it into perspective. And, I just feel like, especially in a time like now where, you know, something like 45 million Americans have lost their jobs in America, we're, we're set with a brand new foundation of perhaps not even being able to toil away all day long. You know, things are not open. If we can't work, it should still be that you're a human and that you're, you know, you're on this earth to live. And I think that that is something that, um, you know, that, that was something that existed in like tribal early human life, you know, that I don't think every person had to break their back to exist. You know, there was a communal dynamic, but, you know, I, I just feel like there was probably some sort of appreciation and leeway for people to just exist. And we are 100% missing that in modern society. And, you know, I think it's something hard to keep up with. And, you know, I don't, I don't know about your friends, but my friends definitely have, we've kind of been talking about this whole kind of like spiritual awakening. If you've heard any of that for 2020, 2020 is kind of this, this year that like all this terrible stuff is happening, but it's, it's meant to like crack open, like a new awakening for anybody that's, you know, spiritual and on the woke path. And, um, and I love thinking of it that way though, because I think that now is a beautiful time to be able to maybe relook at our American society, relook at our politics and see like, okay, does it really work for us? Is the 1% ruling the 99% really a cool thing? You know, 
Do we really want minimum wage? Do we really want a five day, eight hour a day work week? It's like, we have a lot more power in numbers and I'd certainly be happy to revitalize this whole system we have. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, I'm going to give you some word vomit and you can pick and choose what you want to comment. Okay. On. So number one, I think, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I would imagine that in communal societies, like the fact that like, you know, child raising was probably viewed upon as a serious task. And yet we can't even give women the ability, you know, like paid time to take care of their kids. Like it's, it's just disgusting. Uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, there's a, so uh, Tiger Woods and his dad, uh, Tiger Woods, his dad would like, just, just like he would, he would push Tiger to like the limit. And they had, a, they had a safety word, if you will, of, you know, that Tiger could get out of, and he never used it. I think it's the dreaded word. It's like the anti-capitalist word of enough. There's mm -hmm. always more, more, more. And it's, mm -hmm. and then the third thing I, 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 in that sense, um, well, actually I have uh, two more. So, uh, you know, I was reading today, like, you know, cause I've seen people argue that, well, Jeff Bezos is a hard worker. And I'm like, listen, Jeff Bezos may be a really hard worker, but you don't get to $170 billion by quote unquote working hard. How much harder are you working? And it's, you know, they calculated out, like they would have to compare it to minimum wage janitors or whatever. That's he's working 70,000 times harder. It's like, how do you even quantify Impossible. It? Yeah. That's crazy. And then the last thing, um, you know, something encouraging that I did read was you don't need to get everyone on board for any sort of spiritual awakening. You just need critical mass. And the encouraging yeah. thing to me is we are kind of reaching a critical mass. I feel, I don't know. I, I could be wrong. Hopefully I'm not wrong. No. And That's I agree with words you. On it. No. And, and I love it. Those were great words and I'll, I'll pick them out. I completely agree with you that yes, I mean, this is just any, any type of like, political, emotional, societal upheaval breeds an opportunity to, to relook at things, you know? And just like you said, I mean, I believe that there is an element of critical mass that is being achieved right now. You know, people, people that maybe thought differently three or four years ago are, are seeing a new light right now. And that goes, that goes for a lot of things. I mean, you know, politically, you know, it, emotional development wise. And, um, and I just, and I, I think it's a rad time. I'm like excited for it. And, you know, the, in regards to like Tiger Woods and Jeff Bezos. So, you know, enough really is a terrible word for an American, right? We're expected to have two jobs, three jobs, you know, and it's almost like the, the more well, I remember, you work, sorry to cut you off. Like, I remember like, God forbid you as a host, as a woman showed up in the same outfit twice. Like it's oh, fucking no. nuts. Yeah. God, God forbid. forbid you would be, you would, you would be crucified. Completely. And, and, and then that's even a whole nother conversation of, of double standard and sexism that is rampantly present. Even today in this emotionally heightened aware time, we're still hating on women and that's just facts, you know, and absolutely that that's a completely, you know, different conversation too. And worth having, I mean, um, you know, this, this whole judgment is doubled for women, but it exists for, you know, all humans and, and this whole like enough, you know, this whole like forcing yourself to do more work, Tiger's dad, forcing Tiger to really like push his limits. And it's like that, you know, is 
um, it, it can be enviable, enviable in certain situations, but really what it happens to most people is they get burned out. They have nervous breakdowns. They get physical ailments that are caused by, you know, emotional unbalance. There's a lot of harm that I think can come from this hustle lifestyle. So me personally, this whole like work harder hustle idea, I'm over it. I'm, I don't even believe in it anymore. I'm thinking yeah, well, we need like an, in the in the sorry in the case of like Tiger, a lot of you know, I mean, in in the, in the context that I read it, um, it was always like, you know, yeah, he's an amazing golfer, but look at the cost, you know, on his marriage and everything, you know, his family life and all that. You know what I mean? So it's not like quote unquote burnout, but it had a cost. Completely. Another great example similar to that is Michael Jackson, the Jackson Five. Michael Jackson, you know, Papa Joe would just crack the whip on all those kids. And poor little Michael was so little and had a life of just the lights, fame. He had no escape and, you know, sad things happened in his adult life too. So you're absolutely right. I completely think there is a cost for an unbalanced life, especially when you're a child. Childhood is a really interesting, delicate thing, I think. You know, your first five years or your formative years, if things are wacky during that time, that already sets the stage for some some adult you know, misalignment, you know, and then just your childhood in general, it's such a short period of time of life that um, if you are not balanced, I just, I, I think that's a, it's a, it's a sad disadvantage. You know, you may have money and fame at the end of it, but, but what is that if you're still yeah. broken in a sense? And, and the Jeff Bezos topic is interesting to me because tell, tell me if you have any relation to this, but uh, my grandmother, is a great example for this because she um, is 83 years old and the way her mind was formed in, you know, 1930s, 1940s America was to say that the harder you work, the more successful you will be so that the top rich people in this world, she goes, oh, they work so hard. It goes hand in hand. It's like, if you're a billionaire, you must work so hard. And um, I simply don't believe that's true. I think that I think that it's a lot of work smarter, not harder. Yeah. And I think that, you know, and I think that Jeff Bezos was probably very smart and he, you know, figured out some interesting pathways to get to where he is now. But you're right. He's not working 70,000 times harder than the janitor down at the, you know, down at Staples Center or, you know, the the single mom working at Taco Bell. Or, or, or two different jobs, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's almost offensive, in my opinion, to belittle the hard work that every minimum wage worker does. And it is hard work. And people that don't have cars and have to rely on public transportation, to belittle them so much and say they don't work hard, but Jeff Bezos does, Warren Buffett does, you know, all, you know, all these billionaires um, are just really revered for the hard work. And I just don't think that, is a healthy perspective in terms of work, you know? Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. As does Chloe, that hence why she was barking. She was like, yeah, go oh, girl. That's right. See, I got you, <laughs> Chloe. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, as we, as we wrap up, I, I would love to, I mean, we, we've covered so much ground and I would, I, I could go on for, for many more topics. I know um, all day. Uh, what do you, um, what, what's an important message on your mind that, that you would like to share while you have this time? An important message. Well, you know, just kind of based like where where my head's at, where my heart's at right now. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, I've, I've kind of started, um, I started a new um, 
we'll call it a platform during this during this uh, lockdown time. And it's called Making Conscious Moves. And I, it's, it's a website. It's going to be a podcast. It's an Instagram page. Anyways, and it's basically a tie between yoga and, and the, the, the movement component, making conscious moves with your body, and then making conscious moves with your mind. The podcast has guests that have, that have made some really cool moves doing positive things. And um, that, I think, is a message that's, that's really important to me is that in a time when you can't control anything, let's look inward. Let's see what we can help within ourselves. And to me, the biggest catalyst of healing has always been physical movement. And, you know, if you can even start with the tiniest yoga practice, the tiniest meditation, set the stage for those physical moves, I feel like that is just, you know, the tree trunk that branches out to all kinds of interesting mental, emotional healing and opportunities. Um, I know I said it kind of last quote, but like, I'm really curious to know your thoughts and uh, hope, like, mind you, you could choose not to answer and I'll cut it out, but like, cause it's, <laughs> it's kind of a controversial thing, maybe. Um, this idea, like, it's, it's also interesting to me as, as far as America, like our number one fight against like COVID is like, okay, we need a vaccine. We need this as opposed to also looking inward, you know, like, listen, I'm not saying like, I'm, I'm pro mask, I'm all that stuff, but I still think if we took care, better care of ourselves, you know, better eating, better sleep, better, better uh, uh, eating, right? Then I think we would be in a much better position also to fight COVID beyond just like wearing a mask and so forth. Yes. And I completely agree. And for the record, Phil, for you and for this show here, I just want to say that I love a little controversy. <laughs> and I'm never afraid to talk about it. So I couldn't agree with you more. And I really think that our society is set up for a quick fix. Our society is not set up for us to care about ourselves, to have enough money to be able to have self-care, you know, to have enough hours in a day to focus on ourselves and our families. I mean, we've created this American structure where we're working all the time, can't sleep, stress, fast food, you know, all these variants. And, um, and of course we need a vaccine because lifelong we've not been trained to care for ourselves in a proper way. So I absolutely agree with you that that is, you know, a really unfortunate downfall that we're recognizing now. You know, you're you're not alone in coming to this realization. And I can only pray, you know, fingers crossed that others are having this realization too. Absolutely. Why don't we look inward? Why can't we take better care of ourselves? Why can't you know, a fitness class and organic food not be laughed at, you know, why isn't a fitness class and organic food the the norm and meant for every person of every socioeconomic class of every race, you know, that that's another thing too, is I've, I've gotten comments that, um, you know, the wellness field is predominantly white. And a lot of people of color are having trouble accessing it, feeling welcome in it, you know, and, and that's a whole nother conversation too, is that not only do we have a structure that really neglects humans in America, largely the Western world, not, not only is that our structure, but, but we're in the process just really breaking down everybody along the way, you know, everybody along the ladder of life is feeling their version of, um, of discontent. And um, if, if, if we feel could create this sort of critical mass, looking at that as well, our work structure, our political ideologies, our, our importance to our health, um, I swear that just, you know, 
things could be so much better. And to me, it's just a shame that we're in 2020. We have so much technology, so many smart people, kind people, amazing people. And yet this is the world we're living in where there's fights in families over politics. And, you know, we're dealing with racial issues that, in my opinion, I thought we were done with in 1960. And, you know, it's, it's a whole shit show. Excuse my French. And it, in my opinion, doesn't have to be, you know, but it's another conversation that goes into kind of, you know, controls, controls of people, government controls of people, societal controls of people. And then here we are dealing with COVID-19. Yeah. So, you know, it's well, tricky. Um, I mean, in a sense, misery is just as agreeable as happiness. So I think in a large sense, people misery are... Misery loves company. Yeah, people are, people are a little hesitant to change. And um, on the plus of like, one of the encouraging things, I've said it many times before, but I'll say it again, is, is the idea that if something is is it better then it's good because i think like everyone's like oh well you know i can imagine if if someone that's like not open-minded and has listened to this much like congrats like kudos to you but uh, i i really believe like the uh, a lot of opposition is always this idea like well whatever you're proposing it's like you just want to tear everything down and it's like okay we don't have to get everything perfect but if it's better then that's good and that's kind of like how i like to work of like can we can we make incremental steps at least I love that. I love that. It doesn't have to be a a complete revolution of everything we know. And um, absolutely, there can be incremental changes to the better. And this is something crazy I have found too recently. Like, we'll just say like in this recent political climate is that people seem to be like, like clinging to the way things are now and, and almost afraid to move in any different direction. I'm not quite sure how to explain it. It's almost like They'll take the shit treatment that's happening right now um, just to avoid like any work or any, any changes, you know, that, that potentially could be better because they're fe- fearful it'll be worse. You know, um, I don't know. I've got some family members, uh, some, some other people I've come across where they just are kind of, it's almost like, uh, like they've given up. It's like a relinquishment of hope. I don't know. And they're just like, no, no, like, it's fine. It's fine. Keep things as they are. You know, it's too scary to imagine that we could have different work schedules, different ways that we treat women and mothers and children. And that's too like scary because they're so indoctrinated, you know? Yeah. I I think that's the key that, you know, we've, I mean, in a sense, we've been beaten down to this idea of like, here, here is the normal and F you, if you think that like, you know, like normal's bad. And it's like, well, that normal wasn't really that great. It was just exactly. way, but it wasn't a great way either. So, no. Um, yeah. So uh, whenever I talk with my friends and I have conversations like this, I like to end it with like, well, once again, we have solved world peace. Hallelujah. Today so, is a good day. <laughs> so I'll, uh, I'll kind of, I'll kind of leave it on that note, but uh, of course, uh, uh, share, uh, you know, website, uh, Instagram, all that stuff where can, where can people kind of interact with you directly and so forth. Absolutely. So, um, so I'm Blake V. You can follow me individually on Instagram at Blake V Media. And to start making some good moves in your life, check out Making Conscious Moves on Instagram and on YouTube for some great uh, yoga tutorials and some cool life information. Awesome, fantastic. And of course, uh, all those links are down below in the description box, so uh, easier for you to access. And as always, if you have any questions, please write them down. If you have thoughts of your own, please write them down. It could be in the comments section 
or on social media. Tag us both, you know. Um, I'd certainly love to chat with you. I'm sure Blake would like to interact. I with would you. love it. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Bye.